found recently in a cave by Israeli archaeologists. Scientists at CERN have announced the discovery with 99.999% certainty that the exposure does exist the so-called God particle. Hello, fellow quirks and quacks. Welcome to another episode of Quirks of Creation. I am your host, Jess Holmes. And as always, joining me this evening is my co-host, Elise Malone. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Yay. All right. Happy Friday. It is good. School is almost over. I am super hyper and excited. Uh, So my favorite proton, what do you have for us tonight? All righty. So tonight, as promised, we're moving away from the death and destruction theme. I know. I mean, there might be a little bit because apparently that's my jam, but (laughs) I love it. We are going to take a huge turn into what I normally discuss, turn in what I normally discuss and talk about a specific historian and his impact and, um, uh, you know, rather than God deciding to, deciding to like annihilate everybody and, <laughs> or just a group of people, right. we're going to talk about one guy and, um, does he annihilate for, a group of people or he does not, he's okay. not that guy. That's, he's got that going for him. So. I guess no cataclysms maybe. tonight is what we're saying. No cataclysms. Yeah. There might be a little war or something, but okay. You know, okay. We, whatever. you know, we can get a little bit of that taste in there. Yeah. Some yeah. Old fashioned war. Exactly. So if you're looking for something more violent, I'm sure when you come back for future episodes, I'll have more, but <laughs> before tonight we've calmed it down a bit. So, uh, so the historian we're going to be discussing is Josephus, and mm. we're going to jump past the Old Testament, even past the New Testament, and just talk about what happened after Christ in the first century AD, and kind of what was going on with the Jews and the Romans, a lot of politics, a lot of, there's a lot of context here, there's a lot of, there's a lot, so. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. So just for just to get our feet wet a little bit, Josephus was a Jewish historian. He wrote like three major works that are talked about and are still around to this day. And we'll touch on these and their significance. But also, I feel like this is a good kind of foundational talk. And what I mean is that as we continue to discuss like this historical side of the podcast, this guy's definitely going to come up Mm -hmm. and also think it's kind of a good way to look at historical texts like you need to understand the context and opening up conversations about getting into the bigger picture when we look back at history because it's never really black and white um there's a lot of factors way on a paper (laughs) yeah exactly so like you know history is written by the victors by the winners that's always right i remember that being said a lot when i was in college especially you know always kind of keep that in the back of your mind and um you'll definitely see that as we discuss this tonight 
and you'll see just kind of how much of an impact that had on Josephus's writings. And we're also going to talk about why it still matters today. So, I, I'm really excited about this because Yay. one of the things I really struggled with in school was just like understanding how to read history. To the way it was always presented to me was like this big old list of facts and it put yeah. me asleep. Yeah. And so I am so excited for you to bring it to us in a way that is like so tangible and like relatable. I'm so hyped. Thank you. I am definitely hoping to do that because I, I remember that too. It was kind of like, especially in high school, like you get through all these things, like memorize this, memorize this, moving on. And there's just, you can pick one, one thing and mm -hmm. delve into it for a whole year. So right. we'll, we'll see how it goes. But if you start falling asleep, let me know. Drink some North Arrow coffee. <laughs> Drink some North Arrow coffee. I'll get to that too. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I've had way too much of that today. <laughs> way too much. So if I'm a little, you know, jumpy, it's just, it's just it's all caffeine. Good. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so again, I just want to reiterate that there's a lot of biases when it comes to Josephus. Uh, you have like the Jewish outlook on him. You have the secular view of him and the Christian perspective as well. And then there's a lot of ways to look at his character and his motivations while he was writing these texts. And even though there's still a lot of unknowns, there's a lot we can infer just based on what we do know oh. and what has been shown through archaeological digs and comparing it with other works at that time that have survived. Cause that's a big one. Like this was um, like I said, the first century he was born uh, in 37 AD. So just after the crucifixion oh, wow. of Christ. So it was like hmm, that was a long time ago. I mean, that, that was right there when the early church was just getting started and like, yes, setting down roots and all of that. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, this conflict with Rome was still huge. This was not over, um, you know, didn't end with Jesus. So let's get into it. So who was this guy? <laughs> Why just do we some care? Dude. He was just a guy. He wrote some stuff and it was cool. The end. Uh, no, good night. <laughs> Podcast over. <laughs> Bye. See ya. <laughs> That's my very, very good take on all of this. I loved it. Yeah. Well done. No, but basically, um, he was a Jew born in 37 or 38 AD, like I said, in Jerusalem. I'm going to save the, like, why do we care part for later. Oh, okay. We'll get to that. But um, his father was a priest, and he became a Pharisee, or it's widely accepted that he was a Pharisee. Okay. He was a military commander in the Galilean army and an eyewitness to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Wow. Yeah. So I'm going to break that down again, just get some more context going as far as that. Um, so at this time, there were four different and distinct political orientations that the Jews adhered to. They were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. Um, sound familiar? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So they, they each had their own place within the Jewish culture and religion, and they brought different perspectives on how to follow God's law and practice Judaism. And it's well known that like, at this time, there was a lot of 
infighting, if you will. So like we don't see that today. I know that never happens. That never happens in Christianity. Never. Yeah. And if you, if you follow history even a little bit too, you can see how cultures, places that clans, anything, any group that has fighting within itself can't um, hold up against a bigger. Right. You know what I mean? Like if they can't put their differences aside to face this bigger threat, like it's, it's pretty much it's not, not going to work good. out. It's not yeah. looking good for them. It's not going to turn out so well. So um, side note, disclaimer, <laughs> that's where we're at. So with, with Jews at this time. So who, right. who are all these people? Um, Cause I always have to, I had to like refresh a little bit on like yeah. the differences with some of them. So uh, the Pharisees, actually, there's a really awesome article I'm going to read a little bit from just because I think they give a really good, well-rounded synopsis of everything. Like They're basically saying um, the Pharisees were the most important of these sects because they were the spiritual fathers of modern Judaism. Their main distinguishing characteristic was a belief in an oral law that God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai, along with the Torah. And the Torah, or written law, was akin to the U.S. Constitution in the sense that it set down a series of laws that were open to interpretation. Mm. Thus all the fighting. Right. Yeah. Um, The Pharisees believed that God also gave Moses the knowledge of what these laws meant and how they should be applied. This oral tradition was codified and written down roughly three centuries later in what is now known as the Talmud, which Mm. that'll come up again, but... Um, The Pharisees also maintained that an afterlife existed and that God punished the wicked and rewarded the righteous in the world to come. They also believed in a Messiah who would herald an era of world peace. And Pharisees were, in a sense, blue-collar Jews who adhered to the tenets developed after the destruction of the temple. Mm. That is, such things as individual prayer and assembly in synagogues. So what that all means is... um, Well, they, okay, they separated from the Sadducees and they felt that the Sadducees were highly corrupt. Like they Mm. corrupted the temple ritual and the caste of the priesthood that the Sadducees had set up. They thought that was super um, corrupt as well. And again, the big difference too is they believed that an afterlife and the Sadducees didn't because the Sadducees said, you know, well, it's not, it's not written down. It's not real. It doesn't, that's not a thing. (laughs) Um, That's so interesting because like when I think of how Pharisees are depicted in the Bible, they seem like the most corrupt out of everybody. Yes. Um, And we kind of forget about the Sadducees. Yeah. They're not mentioned a ton Mm -hmm. in the New Testament. Right. And actually they... There's not a lot even written about them. Actually, Josephus, this historian, is where we get a lot of our information about these different sects. With the Sadducees especially, all of their writings were destroyed in 71 AD, so like after the temple was destroyed. Um, There's really nothing textually about them. It's mostly what the Pharisees have written and then what Josephus has written, so... 
And then we, of course, That's, as Christians, get a lot from the Bible, obviously. Right. I just find that so interesting because we don't, we no longer have their firsthand account. Right. We just have all of the this corroborating evidence, so to speak. Yes, exactly. Oh. And that comes into play a lot here because okay. it's like, not just with this, but right. kind of with everything, you only have one, one point of view and you have to take that into account. Like, okay, this is what they're saying and it's all we've got. <laughs> right. And like you said, it corroborates with other things, but it's kind of like, but do we really know all of it right because we're not getting it directly from the source yeah exactly and mm. we unfortunately never will yeah. right <laughs> um but the pharisees also i thought that this was just like um rabbis and and the jews did this in general but no it was just the pharisees they formed small disciple circles around Israel of very dedicated followers. So again, familiar, Jesus gathering his disciples, and that's what the Pharisees did. So it's also, I think, like Jesus was considered a Pharisee as far as... Um, the fact that this, he was a blue-collar Jew, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and he he followed kind of the same rituals. So this mm. going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, just because I think it's cool. Follow along, guys. But <laughs> so when he gathered his disciples, you know, you see it was very similar to what the Pharisees did. But I was listening to a Jewish rabbi give us um, kind of a a speech about Josephus. And this was brought up. He said, um, you know, Christians, when we read the New Testament, it seems to us that the Pharisees, like you said, were the bad guys. Right. Jesus is always pointing to their hypocrisy, their love of law over people, and makes examples of them often. Right. And um, the rabbi who was giving this lecture <laughs> – about Josephus who was just discussing this and he um, made the comparison of like familial fighting and Jesus's relationship with the Pharisees. Oh my gosh. So he talks about his kids fighting in the car and oh my gosh, can I relate? <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. So again, I keep like getting off topic. I'm bringing it back. No, Hang with I, me. I got you. <laughs> um. <laughs> I was the oldest of five, mm -hmm. and my family spent a lot of time in the car growing up. Like, we love to travel, see lots of different places. We go visit family all over, et cetera. And as great as that was, like, as cool as all those experiences were, it's still five kids in the car. That's a lot. Oh, for a long time. I have no idea how my parents did it. How many times did PJ do the, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you? <laughs> I was totally going to throw him under the bus here. <laughs> I totally am. So the fighting in our car was very cliche, just like that. Like, I'm not touching you. It was, yes, all of that. Um, <laughs> but the, the point of the rabbi and my point in this is like when you, when he brought up the fighting with his family and it's and the fighting right. in my family like that, you fight different with your family than you yeah. do 
with like friends on the playground or even in friends in real life, like only those really close tight knit people, you fight like that. Like you really can get into it and still love each other at the end of the day. Um, That just puts it in so much more context. I feel like this is why we need this. Like I, I never would have put together Jesus, a Pharisee. Are you kidding me? I know. I know. Yeah. But if you think about it as just like a label for that particular sect of Judaism Mm -hmm. that he was following. Yep. And he was just calling them out. Like if a pastor's calling out his flock for messing up. Exactly. Exactly. I know. I was, I loved this perspective. Like again, not sure if that's completely accurate, but it makes sense to me anyway. Um, so yeah, he, you know, he made the claim that it was like this with Jesus and the Pharisees and the culture at that time, it wasn't necessarily fighting because there was animosity. It was fighting because they were similar and close, at least in a Mm. cultural sense. And he pointed out their flaws, like you just said, and here's where I'm throwing PJ under the bus. So (laughs) it's like a brother might point out in the car that his sisters are getting too much radio time and it's his turn. (laughs) (laughs) So for anybody who doesn't know this yet, PJ from Conspiracy Pilled is my younger brother, and uh, he was stuck in the car with his three sisters and a baby brother who didn't care about the radio, but that was the majority of our fighting was the girls get, the girls have the radio. I want my songs. It's like, no, just listen to the Backstreet Boys, PJ. Exactly. I was like, it's the 90s, dude. Get with it. Get with it. Come on. And he wanted to listen to oldies, and we were like, Britney Spears. There you go. Yep. Poor PJ. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I do think it's just an interesting perspective, and I've never heard or considered that before. So I just wanted to, like, throw that out there. I I really love it. And I think it just sets up how important the historical context of things are and Mm -hmm. not just nitpicking verses out of the Bible to go over for a whole hour on a Sunday. Like you need all of it to really get it. Agreed. And um, that's something I have to say I love about my pastor is it's not like him just picking a verse and going after it. Like you're saying, it was, he's like, this is what was going on at the time in this. And, and that's what I want to bring to you today is there was a lot going on for the Jews and the Romans and all of this that um, Josephus writes about. And again, I'll, I promise I'll get into it, but (laughs) it's just very, a very fun way to look at it too. And something we don't always normally get to to do. So Um, anyway, moving on. (laughs) So this is the, the next, the Sadducees. And uh, the Sadducees were elitists who maintained the priestly caste, but they were also liberal in their willingness to incorporate Hellenism into their lives. Mm-hmm. Or they were they were very much like I don't want to say pro Rome, but they were in contact a lot with the Roman governing leadership that was there in Jerusalem. So, so they were the Methodists. Not to throw the yeah. Methodists under the bus, but. But, but I mean, it's a good comparison. It's a good comparison. 
And this was something also that the Pharisees opposed. So there was a lot of like just two opposite ends of the spectrum there. Right. Uh, yeah. And the Sadducees rejected the idea of the oral law and insisted on a literal interpretation of the written law. And uh, consequently, they did not believe in the afterlife since it is not mentioned in the Torah. And the focus of Sadducee life was rituals associated with the temple. So the Pharisees were more about prayer and study, and the Sadducees were more about the rituals. Yeah, I still think you brought right. up a really good comparison. That was, <laughs> that was good. It, it, I mean, it kind of feels that way. I mean, we see how the world has really invaded the modern church, especially. I hate saying yes. especially the Methodist church, but... I walk down the corner and see the pride flag hanging from the Methodist church in my town. You yep. know? Yep. I grew up Methodist and uh, I don't say that out loud very often <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I am not any longer, but it was, but that was a huge. That must have been hard. Huge, it was a hard, hard one. Like I'd already switched over to a different church before all this had gone down, but I was like, Whoa, <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Right. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's that's the Sadducees, and that's kind of where their beef with the Pharisees was. And like I said, none of their writings had survived. So we all what we have is what comes from what the Pharisees wrote. Um, so yeah, and they controlled like the temple cult or the Jewish center of worship. Like I said, very close relationship with the Roman governing authority. Just a bunch of like, hmm, yeah. I don't know. They're not looking too much so, like the good so guys now either. I, yeah, now I have the question: Was it the Pharisees or the Sadducees who called for Jesus's crucifixion? I guess it was both, right? Because the Pharisees would have been the crowd, and yeah. then the Sadducees were the leaders who were kind of egging them on. Yeah, and what's funny too is. Uh, the Pharisees were very much all about the um, Messiah. Right. Not as much as the Essenes, which we'll talk about, or the Zealots, which we'll talk about, mm -hmm. but um, more so than the Sadducees. So I don't know that you asked that question. I'm not really, I would assume both, but I don't really, right. I don't know. Something to dig into later. Something to, something, yeah, exactly. Huh. Uh, then the next one, like I said, the Essenes. So they often lived in caves. Not all were celibate. Some had chose celibacy. They like they merged out of disgust between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Like you guys are nuts. We're going over here. Um, they believe the others had corrupted the city and the temple. They moved out of Jerusalem, lived in the desert, usually in caves. Very strict diet. Again, celibacy, which so it's like, okay, that's all well and good. But then you have to kind of hardcore uh, recruit people. Right. <laughs> you're not going to replenish that yourself. <laughs> if you're all celibate and you don't reproduce, who are you passing your ideas off on to, you know? Yeah. So, but uh, they're very interesting. They lived in eager anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah. And they believed he was like just around the corner. And um, we know a bit more about them because of some of their writings survived and were discovered through the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
somebody said in one of the things I was reading that, you know, like we thought they were weird before. And then we read some of their stuff in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it's like, oh, wow, you guys really were like out there. But yeah, it's kind of also argued that John the Baptist wasn't a scene just based on his lifestyle. Right. That's not confirmed. It's just kind of, I wonder if he was kind of a thing. For the most part, good question. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then the last one is the zealots, and you know they believed that the most important thing for Jews was to throw off the Roman yoke. They would engage in violent arm, violent. Excuse me, just purple rebellion. That's all. I like it. (laughs) Yeah, violent armed rebellion, and wanted to just push the Romans out of the Holy Land. They. They were like the primary instigators of the rebellion as a whole, and they were relatively successful, at least in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of their whole thing is like Roman law or like Jewish law, whatever, but let's just get rid of these Romans, okay? (laughs) Just yeet them out. Yeah. So I didn't think I'd get to use that word in the podcast, but I'm so glad we did. Base Babe over on Rumble says, Violet Rebellion sounds like a band name. That would be an awesome band name. If we start a band. Violet Rebellion. Violet Rebellion. I I can't play a single instrument, but I'm here for it. Me neither. Me (laughs) neither. Is it a typo? No, that's, we totally meant. Yeah. Violet. Violet. Obviously. (laughs) Uh, So this, again, just a brief synopsis of these different sects and what they believed. And um, to the next point about Josephus was that he became a commander in the Galean army. And you Mm kind of question, like, why was a Pharisee a commander in the Jewish army? Like, what right did he have to do that? Good question. question. That's a good question. But before we jump into that... Which does include just a little bit of death and destruction. Yes, just a little bit. I can't help myself. Let's take a minute to enjoy the calming effects of North Arrow coffee. I don't think it's calming me, but it's delicious anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So this single origin roast to order coffee is not only delicious and soothing or caffeinating, but 15% of their proceeds go to helping pro-life charities. And that, my friends, is something to raise your mug to. So treat yourself to some delicious coffee and help save those precious babies. And use code HAWKHOUND10 to get 10% off your order. I loved it. That was awesome. Cheers. (laughs) Thank you. Again, I really shouldn't be drinking more, but I'm gonna. (laughs) I feel like it's a requirement on a Hawkhound podcast to be just like slamming down four cups of microwave North Arrow coffee. Yes, it definitely is microwave since I made it this morning. But hey, whatever. It's good. (laughs) We're not coffee snobs. But you Mm -mm. can drink North Arrow coffee and taste coffee and make yourself feel like a coffee snob because it's that good. It's that good. It's that good. I love it. They also have, I haven't even looked because I don't have one. They also have pods. Like they do have pods. Yeah, I oh my so. gosh. I love their K cups because yeah. I, I'm a teacher. So I have like five seconds on a right. school day. <laughs> it's like <laughs> slam and go. That's what I need. Exactly. And so 
if you do want fresh tasting coffee, you can do those too. <laughs> and not make a huge pot in the morning and drink it all day like me. Now on my Whatever. days off, I definitely do that. Oh, for sure. <laughs> anyway, so the question was, why was a Pharisee a commander in the Jewish army? What rights did he have? Right. And the answer is like, he was part of the aristocracy in Jerusalem. Mm. And then, and according to him, which I, I don't, I don't know that this is really well known or not. His mom was descendant of royalty as well. So like his dad was a priest and his mom was descendant of um, royalty he also, you'll see more later that he really likes to make himself look good. So I'm not really sure that that's true, but but it it sounds cool. It, it does sound cool. It makes yeah. me wonder how much of that is made up because hmm. he's supposed to be a Pharisee and the Pharisees are supposed to be blue collar Jews, yet he has royalty in his bloodline. Yeah. I think I mentioned this elsewhere, but I'm going to bring it up now is like when he writes stuff, especially about himself, he definitely makes himself look good. And mm. he has this story about how he was 14 and all of the rabbis were like enamored with him because he was so smart. And so he's teaching them. And I was like, well, that sounds familiar. <sighs> like, right. Jesus was teaching people at 12 in the temple, but I don't know. Anyway, right. um, and somebody, a lot of, a lot of sources were like, yeah, if you read his stuff, you can tell that he wasn't like, he was smart, mm -hmm. but like, not that he wasn't like going to go to Mensa or anything like that when it, in the Jewish world, like he was not teaching them at 14, anything. He, he wasn't a prodigy. <laughs> no, thank you. That's a great okay. word. So it's, there's stuff like that littered all throughout his writing where you're just like, okay, all right, you're cool. You're cool. Calm down. It's fine. We know you're hot shit. <laughs> we know you're cool. It's all right, dude. But anyway, <laughs> before we talk more about, how cool he is and all the special writings that he has. Uh, we're going to say peace out to YouTube. So at Talk Hound, our philosophy is don't work for woke companies that hate you and your values. So we won't. And that's why we're taking our show over to Rumble and Odyssey. So audio listeners will still get the majority of this episode. Thank you for listening. But our goal at Hawk Hound is to make sure that we aren't making little compromises to our beliefs to grow our podcasts. So join us on Rumble and Odyssey where we can speak more freely and we'll see you there. I love it. Adios. Uh, adios. While we're with the cool people, I just want to drop some cool things that just happened to us because Quirks now has so much new merch in the merch shop. You guys are going to be 
so excited about this. Audio listeners, you guys need to go over to hawkhoundmedia.myshopify.com so you guys can check out our brand new This Is Fine sweatshirt. I, I love this so much. Basically, the This Is Fine dog sitting in the desert with his cup of North Arrow coffee with <laughs> the meteors of Sodom and Gomorrah raining down on him. Yep. 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 Obviously yep. need that sweatshirt. Obviously. Then you've got the quantum candle. My favorite. Schrodinger's cat on it. And it's only lit when observed, of course. And then last but not least, (laughs) the classic Schrodinger's cat t-shirt. So if you guys want to support the show, don't forget to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review. It really helps us grow the show. And especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you know, Leave us a review, take a screenshot, send it to quirksofcreation at gmail.com, and you guys will be featured on next week's show. It'll be super awesome. And you might get a cool coupon. Yeah. So we just, we're so grateful for everybody who's listening and supporting us. It really means the world. And we're just so excited for it's everything. It's true. It's true. You guys are awesome. So glad you're here. So glad. Whoop, whoop. All right. Oh. Enlighten us. Yeah. I'm excited. Okay. So, like I said, he was part of the aristocracy of Jerusalem. And in the year 64 AD, Josephus was sent with a delegation to Rome to negotiate with Emperor Nero to release some of the Jewish priests were being, who were being held hostage for different reasons. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers anything about Emperor Nero, but I'll just say dude was crazy. <laughs> Is it sad that I have now conflated him with Nero from Red Rising? No, no. I'm going to talk about Titus in a minute. And that's Let's what go. I think too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have um, a quote from a guy named Pliny the Younger. And I was like, Pliny. Pliny. Oh, like- so, yeah, uh, this is um, just us nerding out about Red Rising because... <laughs> The new one's coming in July. Oh, my gosh. So So excited. Pierce Brown has basically ruined my understanding of history because he stole all the historical names. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot, man. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, He uses so many Roman names. So many names. But you're like, he's a... He's just awesome. So yeah, so you'll probably like just have flashbacks of like all your favorite characters or not so favorite characters. Yeah. As I talk about, as I talk more about this, I was doing the same thing. So you're not alone. Um, yeah. Emperor Nero was said to have fiddled while Rome was burning. Just basically he was terrible. He was crazy. That's beside the point. But I always kind of like, I don't know, whenever he comes up, I kind of chuckle like, oh, yeah. He was really bad. (laughs) It's so bad. (laughs) He was so bad. Um, So Josephus goes to Rome, and he was younger uh, at this point before he'd written anything, of course. So I just want to put this in perspective as well. So imagine growing up in the middle of nowhere, which is kind of what I did. Relatable. Yep. (laughs) And then you go to this big city for your first time as an adult, and you're just blown away by how incredible and advanced this place is. And it was a lot like that for him. I mean, he was in Jerusalem. Things were very, um, I don't know. I don't want to say boring. <laughs> That's a really <laughs> terrible word yeah. to use, but it was just, 
there wasn't a whole lot going on there in comparison to Rome. So you have, you go to Rome and you have roads and aqueducts and they have plumbing for Pete's sake, you know, like (laughs) we take plumbing for granted now. (laughs) Big time, big time, (laughs) big time. Like, yeah, it used to be a luxury guys. Yeah. Huge luxury. And that was, that's a great word for Rome too, is like, it was luxurious. Everything was luxurious. Like it was big. It was beautiful. It was, you could take a bath. You could take a bath, a hot bath in a, <laughs> a sauna. That oh was God, like, what a luxury. Just crazy. Again, things we take for granted, but they had all of that and he didn't. So again, for him, like everything is so big and beautiful and so advanced and One, I can't imagine the culture shock of walking into that place. I've had culture shock on like the opposite spectrum where, you know, coming from America and then I went to Haiti and that was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get into some of those stories sometime, but yeah, culture shocks, big deal. Yeah. Um, But a lot of scholars believe this made a huge impression on him which will come into play later. So, you know, just kind of, I think he was enamored with Rome and you'll see that as we go on. So um, when he returned back to Jerusalem, the zealots had pretty much convinced a lot of the Jews it was time to fight off Rome. Um, I do want to say too, that Rome was actually extremely tolerant of other people's religions. Um. It, oh yeah. In comparison had, to like conquering. Right. Didn't yeah. they have that plaque that was like for the unnamed God or was that? I'm trying to I think, think of. so. Now that you mention it. Paul. Now I'm going to draw that. a huge blank, but yeah. 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 And for them, like, it was like, yeah, you, you do you boo. Like they were just like, yeah, you do fine. your thing. We're going to do, you know, and they, what they did was they would, conquer a place and rather than like not your gods our gods they were just like now we'll just include them in our pantheon and we'll have all of them and how cool um but the jews were also very different than any other culture that they'd absorbed it's like they you know they had one god and you couldn't see him there was no idol to him there was i think there was like this big thing like let us into the temple to see because he's got to be in there like he's in there right and you can see him like, no, it's not, not, how, not this how this works. Yeah. So that to them was very um, interesting. Again, I'll talk about that in a minute, but they were very tolerant. Um, and yet at the same time, the Jews were very, I don't want to say stubborn, but because I don't want it to come across like I think they were wrong. The, the Romans, for example, would be like, you know, it's cool. You do your thing. We, we totally don't care. But as long as you just give a sacrifice to the emperor once a year, that's all. That's all we need from you. And they're like, no, that's not right. We don't we don't do that. We don't bow. We don't to anybody but God. We don't sacrifice or put anybody above him. And the Romans were like, OK, just like a piglet. Could you just like a tiny little piglet once a year? That's all we're asking. And they're like, no, uh, you can't do no. that. <laughs> no. We're not doing that. So, um, so again, just more context to keep in mind. Rome was awful. <laughs> like they crucified people left, right, and sideways. But at the same time, they were tolerant too. So it was. It's this weird 
juxtaposition of like a conqueror, but also like, hey, we're cool. It's cool. Everybody's cool. I, I hate to make more modern day comparisons, but it feels so much like the modern left uh, who is so tolerant of everything except Judaism and Christianity. Like right. they're literally right. absorbing all of the gods, the gods of wokeism. They get into all the wicked stuff, the alien stuff, the yep. like all of it. Yeah. Except for Christianity and Judaism. No, we can't be a part of the club, right? We are hated, hated yeah. beyond belief. Uh, we lose our jobs for our faith. It's crazy. Hmm. 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 Nobody's experienced that. Nope, definitely not. Jeez. But, and that's the thing is, um, yeah, we're so, we're so, it, it's funny. The, um, history repeats itself, right? Yeah. And you're seeing that here. So it's, it's sad, but it's true. Yeah. It's, and that's what we're dealing with today is like, Hey, we're so cool with everything except you guys, except you guys, you're the problem. Okay. Okay. Cause we're not fun. willing to make the little piglet sacrifice to the gods of wokeness. Yep, exactly. And that's why we're here. <laughs> that is why we are here. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And again, we'll see more of that. So when Josephus came back again, the zealots were like, okay, it's time. And they'd convinced most people like it's time to get rid of these Romans. We've, we've tolerated enough of this. And for the most part, almost everybody was on board. There were, you know, people who weren't, but again, for the most part, they'd convinced everybody. And Josephus, because of his um, lineage and, you know, his, the aristocracy that he was from, he was appointed military governor of Galilee and right. he commanded the Northern region. Um, again, another, I, it was said that he just did poorly. Like he did not do a very good job at this. He couldn't hack it. <laughs> couldn't rally the troops. Yeah. Wasn't really good at like bringing in everybody and the camaraderie and woohoo. Yikes. <laughs> um, for the most part in general, the Jews were doing pretty good until Nero appointed the general Vespasian to invade the region. And this is just how it, really where it starts to get interesting as far as Josephus and his character and where we delve into maybe is not so truthful accounts of what happened. Mm. So um, commander of the Galean army and they, and at one point they were under siege in the hill town of Yotapata or Yodfat today. Okay. 40 men roughly, including Josephus were trapped in a cave. And so according to Josephus, uh, they decided to commit suicide rather than be captured by the Romans. And this kind of repeats itself later. But they all drew lots to determine the order of death. And I, some people said like it was just suicide, like they just committed suicide. And other people said they kind it was like assisted. They all helped each uh. other commit suicide. So I, I'm not really sure. I don't know that it really matters, but... Right. Um, they drew lots to determine the order of death, and lo and behold, Josephus was the last man standing. Um, hmm. How convenient. Hmm. How convenient. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. he and I, and I think according to his account of this as well, he was the one who was like, yeah, this is what we need to do. Let's not let them take us. And um, 
gave a great little speech that, and then he was the last one left and guess what? He didn't (laughs) surprise, surprise. He was supposed to, you know, like fall on his sword at the end, but instead he decided to give himself over to Vespasian and he either surrendered or was captured one other, either way. Um, But when he was captured or when he surrendered, he went to Vespasian and he was like, Hey, I just want to remind you that Jews have like the gift of prophecy. (laughs) I got something for you. And so he was like, yeah, God told me that you would be the next emperor of Rome. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Vespasian was kind of like, no, Josephus like, yeah. And they kind of did that for a second. And then, (laughs) um, the thing is, sorry. No, I make love light it. of it. He he just seems like this scheming, conniving guy. Yeah, who's just manipulating everybody around him. Yeah, like I think he just has a really strong will to survive. Yeah, and also make himself look good. Because again, all of this that we're getting, which I didn't say this, but this is all from um, the Roman Jewish Wars, which he wrote. Mm after the fall of the second temple. And um, all of this is his account. Like there's really no other accounts of this from anyone that has survived this time. So again, with history and all of that, yeah, you have to take into account the source. Granted, it's the only source, so we can't even really do anything about it, I guess. You know, it's just like, this is what we got. Yeah. Yeah. Why, um, though? Why is his the only one we have? It's several things. I mean, there's other writings, but nothing as detailed about this event as this. And mm. I will. I'm going to I will get into it. I promise. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm so no, you're like jumping ahead of me and I love it because you know where <laughs> I'm going. So whether this was prophetic or Josephus just kind of already knew which way the wind was blowing with politics in Rome, we'll never know. Um, I don't want to discredit prophecy by any means, but again, just his character is kind of like, yeah. Yeah. So the general Vespasian, he was kind of tickled by this and he kept Josephus at his side and was like, uh, let's see if let's see what happens. I'm gonna keep you around to see what happens. And he doesn't have to wait long because almost immediately after this, um, Vespasian is called back to Rome to assume the royal purple and um, made emperor. So he places his son Titus in charge. More red rising, but there you go. Yep, more red rising. <laughs> so when he goes back to Rome. He, like I said, he put Titus in charge, but he also assigns Josephus as like the Jewish advisor for Titus. Mm. So Josephus, (laughs) is that the side of Titus? Yeah, words are hard. (laughs) And was advising him about the best ways to defeat the Jewish armies. And because of that, Mm. ultimately, Titus is successful. And this results in the destruction of the second temple. Mm. So Josephus is right there witnessing the war and the victory of the Romans. 
And it's hard to know how he felt about it, all of those things. So I'll add some more context into this. So like I said, Rome was very tolerant of other religions um, and all that jazz. And then, but the thing with the Jews and Rome trying to conquer Jerusalem is (laughs) they were so tiny compared to Rome. It was this minuscule. I have somewhere, I have a picture of it. Like how big, just to remind everybody how big, maybe I don't, but anyway, they're huge. Yeah. This Jewish army is not, it's, and they, they also tried a little bit of everything. So they were like, at first they were like, you know, we'll do like a nonviolent kind of, um, protest and we'll, and it just kind of, they got more and more boisterous and violent as time went on. So it, it was interesting. It was interesting that they held them off for so long, but Vespasian wanted it to be documented that he was the victor over the Jews. Like he's Mm. the one who went in there and took care of this problem Right. And so he assigned the task of writing about this to Josephus, and that's how he wrote the Roman Jewish War. Um, Mm -hmm. Vespasian wanted, like, hey, document how cool I am. I took care of this problem that nobody else could take care of. Right. Yeah. And so that kind of got, like, the Roman stamp of approval, and it was put into the Imperial Library, one reason why it was probably kept around was because of that. Right. And, but I also want to, I don't know if I want to stick up for him a little bit, but I do want to put this into context too, is like he was captured by the Romans and Josephus was, and he was brought to Rome. He was living in Rome and when he wrote this, it's like, how much of this was to make them happy? Yeah. Like, you kind of have your overlords, like, looking over you, going, like, you going to make me look good? Right. Make me look good, right? That's fair. Because, I mean, <clears throat> you did say earlier, history is written by the victors. And technically, Rome was the victor in this case. So, mm-hmm. it would not be surprising if he basically had, like, a Roman editor standing over his shoulder making sure he was doing it correctly. Yeah. I mean, again, not really trying to stick up for him so much as just like, keep that in mind too, I guess. We'll never really know. Context, more context. Uh, But he did write this twice. So he wrote the, the book in Aramaic, which was like the Jewish lingua franca. That's what they all spoke at the time, would have read at the time. But he, and he also wrote it in Greek, which for the Romans, that's what they would have read. Right. The, or, yeah, sorry. And only the Greek version of this survived. So mm. the Aramaic version, it could have been exactly the same, might right. have been different. We'll never know. Um, 
I just thought of this, but like insult to injury. Hey, here's how we defeat you. And here's why the Romans are so cool, even though you Jews don't think so. And I'm a Roman sympathizer. But here, let me write it in your language so you can read all about it. That's awful. Sorry. That just hit me. Like, yeah. If he wrote it the exact same. Maybe he did. I don't know. Who knows? Well, and maybe that's why the Aramaic version didn't survive. It's because that that would make sense as to why it didn't survive, right? Because it wasn't written the same. Exactly. And maybe sympathized more for the Jewish side rather than the Roman side. But so, yeah, he's looked at as a Roman sympathizer. But I question it a little bit in that. um, Did he have a choice? Right. I mean, he could have killed himself. That's true. That's the thing I wonder, because like Daniel had the choice to bow down and worship. Shadrach, Mm -hmm. Meshach and Abednego had the choice to bow down and worship, but they chose death rather than worship someone who was not God. Yeah. Now, of course, God delivered them from that potential death. Right. Um, But it's not like he didn't have good examples. Right. It's not like he didn't have very good examples. Yeah. Uh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Yeah. Uh, Yes. So he is puzzling. Um, Also with him too, though, and I kind of touched on this, but I'm touched on it a little bit more. So he was an eyewitness to a lot of these very important events. Mm -hmm. And he's, for the most part, the only source we have for most of these events. But he also embellishes and create speeches for generals. Like when you're reading his stories, um, he'll talk like he was there when he really was. I mean, he witnessed the destruction of the second temple, but he wasn't there for everything he said he was. So you can tell he's embellishing. He creates speeches for generals and there's a lot of that going on. However, that was not unheard of at the time. A lot of historians at that time did that in a lot of, like, it was rhetoric. It was also supposed to be a story. It was supposed to keep your attention. I don't know if you've read a history book lately. (laughs) Yeah, fair. Fair. Excuse me. But it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Again, not trying to defend, but just trying to throw in different perspectives. Um. I wouldn't mind a history book that wasn't quite so dry all the time, but I also understand why it has to be because if, if that was the only thing to survive something like a cataclysm, (laughs) I got one in there. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) It's like having the white house speech writers write your history books. Yes. Yes. There you go. Exactly. So that's a lot of what it was, but again, not unheard of for this yeah. to be going on at this time. Um, another thing to keep in mind too. So he wrote this first and it was like huge. Everybody loved it, at least in Rome. Um, <laughs> his next work, which he wrote later in life, was um, Jewish Antiquities, which was a history of Judaism. Um, this also... This one, unlike the Roman Jewish wars, this book was like heavily plagiarized. But that also wasn't uncommon at that time. No. Like to just <laughs> borrow from other historians and things like that, like that 
wasn't unheard of. So people kind of want to attack him for that too. And it's like, he wasn't alone. <laughs> right. Everybody kind of shared with everybody. Uh, I don't know if they shared, but they all definitely took from each other in that way. So anyway, he also seems to write better when he plagiarizes. <laughs> I can't imagine why. I know. I know. Weird. Uh, but another, another perspective of this too is, so the Roman Jewish war was, I think 20 books and it was much smaller in comparison to his work on Jewish antiquities, mm. which was like, I want to say 70 volumes. Wow. It was huge. Yeah. So some people also argue like, okay, he wrote the first one and he seems to be a Roman sympathizer, but then he comes back later and writes this huge volume of, uh, you know, Jewish antiquities talking right. all about the history of Judaism. And that was also really popular because it was popular in Rome to know about Judaism. So That's it interesting. was, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say it was like fashionable, but it was definitely like maybe a trend. I wonder if it's like how <clears throat> the left pretends to know something about Christianity just so mm. they can use it to bash us over the head with their fake understanding of it yeah that's that's a good question because it, and it's hard to also get historical like it's hard to get the feel i guess of how it was used right if that makes sense like you knew it was kind of a thing but it's also hard to part of the reason why it was a thing too is like it was so different from right what they believed in or all of the many things that they congealed into this belief system in Rome. But, you know, again, they had a God that you couldn't see. You prayed to him and he listened. There was an afterlife that sounded pleasant. Uh, God awarded, rewarded the righteous and, and struck down the, the wicked. And that was all like very new, right. unheard of at that time in comparison to everything else that there was. So that's a good point. Yeah. So he wrote that and he also wrote another one that's very popular or at least well, still well known is against Apion, which is him defending Judaism to an anti-Semite pretty much. Mm. We don't know what was said by Apion or anybody else, whatever he, whoever he was arguing with, whether it was just a guy named Apion or, or just the uh, anti-Semitism in general, but it does seem to be very specific arguments towards someone else. Um, right. But he defends Judaism. So, and my point in all of this is maybe um, he wasn't as sympathetic to Rome as like the first book might have suggested or that he even suggested in his first book, or maybe he was trying to make up for it with his later works. Right. Nobody knows, but it's just all these interesting things to consider. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I've thrown a lot at you with not a lot of answers. <laughs> well, and I feel like that's our show. A lot of times it's like, this yeah. is a cool thing. 
I don't have any answers about it. <laughs> right, right. I can't really give you a yes or no, but here they all are. And here's a bunch of stuff to consider. So you can come up with your own conclusions, right. I guess. Yeah. Honestly, I like that perspective of history a lot better than being told this is the yeah. thing and you have to believe that it happened this way. Yeah. And that's it. That's yeah. the end. And that's it. And you do it because we said so. Right. Yeah. And I guess if nothing else, like just being able to question more and look into right. things more and why this, why that? Oh, there's a lot of different reasons most of the time. <laughs> Right. So, but like you asked earlier, so uh, why did this survive? And like I said, the, it got like the imperial stamp of approval. It was in right. their library. Um, the the ruling family approved of it. I mean, they approved of him so much that they had pretty much adopted him into the family. Like he was Flavius Josephus, and that was the name of Vespasian and his ruling you know, his family, that was his family right. name and they gave it to him too. So it was like, nice job, yeah. dude, you know? So I think that well, is one reason. Go ahead. It's kind of like when Joseph was brought into Egypt, they gave him an Egyptian name. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He was brought into Rome, given a Roman name. Exactly. And he, he did after um, the Jewish rebellion was squashed. He did live out the rest of his life in Rome. Right. I think he had three wives and three sons. Not that that really matters, but I mean, right. he just, he was a Roman pretty much. And, um, but I think the bigger reason he survived is his reference references to Jesus. Mm. Um, so let me read these ones to you real quick. It's pretty much just two for the most part. And I will. But there's a lot of controversy around these two. Surprise, surprise. It's right. a lot of, yeah, like, did he, did he really write these? Did, right. um, yeah. So the first one here is, about this time, there lived Jesus, a wise man if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing amongst us, had condemned him to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared to them restored to life, for the prophets of God had prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. Wow. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, he recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Yes. Yes. And maybe. <laughs> maybe. Oh, no. Maybe. Josephus, my man, you can't get with it. I know. Maybe. So. But that was that was one. That was a big, big one. Right. And then there was one other one that's quoted often as well that he has that he talks about where he again he talks about Jesus and it's, it's controversial as well. But anyway. 
Um, Festus was now dead and Albinus was put upon the road. So he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James and some others. And yada, yada, yada. But basically the point is with this one, the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James. And it wasn't, um, just Jesus. It was. Jesus the Christ, and that right. that he had to make that distinction, that he did make that distinction, and then James, his brother, um, those are both brought up in his works. So, right. here's the controversy, and it and it depends on your perspective. So, I'm going to talk about the secular one in a minute. Okay. You know, as Christians. Your your reaction was my reaction. Like, oh my gosh, how awesome. Like, there's this guy who was around at that time who talked about Jesus and called him the Messiah. And how amazing to have this, like, in text right from that time still here. How awesome. And then, um, and I'm not saying any of these are right. I'm just bringing up kind right. of all the avenues. You then have um, Jews who are like, Mm, yeah, he wouldn't have said that. <laughs> to put it mildly, like, eh, he wouldn't have said that. He, uh, the argument is that he added it, or he didn't, that it was added by scribes later when they were transcribing, mm-hmm. like, all of these works to keep them. Um, mostly, I think, I want to say... It was like the third century or fourth century right. because people didn't really talk about it until then. They didn't really discuss him as being this the quote. Or, yeah, yeah, and the, but yeah, and they didn't discuss this quote or anything about it until until much later. So it's kind of like so was it added later, and it was also added so that these works would stick around, like during medieval mm-hmm. times it was added as a, as a way to preserve this. They knew that this would, the Christians would keep this around. Especially during the crusades and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know, but it is one, one perspective. I'm not saying that's the, that's the Jewish perspective. I'm just saying like, they're kind of like, eh, doubt that guy would have said that. And the other um, argument is maybe a more secular argument is like, "Eh, it's probably added later. Yeah. So there's, I think there's arguments for all of it, mm-hmm. but I can see that it maybe it was tampered, but he still wrote it. Like, that's very middle of the road. And I'm not trying to be middle of the road. But another argument I had heard was that he had written this, but it was slightly tampered to make it tampered with just to make it more like, yes, he was talking about Christ. Right. He could have mentioned the name Jesus mentioned the crucifixion because all of that is corroborated by other histories outside of Josephus. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So why do we care? (laughs) That's like been my big thing. It's like, Okay, cool. Who cares? <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell yes. you why. So, <laughs> without Josephus and like these kind of controversial writings, mm-hmm. we would not have 
a, a really a lot, if any, of that history around that time. It really right. was the most significant piece and detailed piece of history about that whole era after Christ and like the rebellion and what happened with Rome. What's really cool about it is that it brought up that um, he was so detailed in what he wrote that um, I can't remember the name of the museum right now. I will look it up in just a second. But they were able to make a replica of Jerusalem during that time, during the time of Jesus. And I'm gonna just going to have it playing in the background because uh, it's actually a really <laughs> terrible, shaky video. But <laughs> That's you really can, cool. yeah, definitely not professional. But you can see, so it's on a scale of like 1 to 50. Wow. And you can see everything. And this is all built to scale most, like most of it based on his writings. Wow. And um, also what they found archaeologically in digs and such like that. But um, let's see if we can get a little more interesting. But I mean, all of this. Yeah. We wouldn't have this. And this can... This is in Jerusalem. Again, I'll have to mm. look up the name of the temple or the museum. But it's it was there. You can see where Pontius Pilate um, washed his hands and sent Jesus to be crucified. And you can see just all the – it's all there. It's so cool. Oh, that just gives me chills. And I, I know. I didn't even know this existed until I started digging into more of this. But this is all like thanks to him. Um, I think it's called the Israel Museum. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. I knew it was very simple. It was just, yeah. Another so huge, cool. yeah. Again, I'm just going to let that, <laughs> not the best <laughs> video. Anybody who's listening, like you can look it up. It's just, I mean, you just YouTube um, Jerusalem model. And it, it comes up pretty easy, pretty quick. And you can see, like I said, scale of 1 to 50. So it's still huge. Yeah. Like you can see really well, like details pretty well. Um, but small enough, you know, you can walk around the outside. Right. And, and if you could just imagine it extrapolated out into a yeah. real city. Yeah. Whew. And bigger than I would have imagined. Yeah. On my own, you know. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's just a really cool little thing that, that we have. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then also another thing he gave us, there was a lot of things he gave us, but like big, another big one was, um, Masada. Have you ever heard of the story of Masada? I feel like I've heard that word before, but I don't remember it. Yeah. Basically, to sum up, it was like the last Alamo for the Jews against the Romans. It was their last stand. Um, mm -hmm. And he was there with Titus <sighs> watching all of this happen. And the thing isn't necessarily that he wrote about it, except that it would never have been found without his writings. Archaeologists mm -hmm. would never have found it, and they would have considered it a myth to this day 
if it wasn't for his writings and that helping them find it. And then when they found it, um, it was everything he described. Like everything right. was there that he described, except one person argued that he did describe it with marble, like marble everywhere. And there right. wasn't, or the, at least they never excavated any marble from that place. But everything else he described was there. And another argument for that is that like he was writing this for the Romans. And if it wasn't in marble, then it wasn't glorious and glamorous. Right. <laughs> so he might've just embellished there. Shocking. Um, yeah. Shocking. But these are just a few examples and there's more that we could go into later. There's a lot of things like I know the church will reference that actually came from him and not like the Bible. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. So why do we care? And it's like all of these things, I think we just still need to give glory to God in this because all of these things surviving, like right. if he wasn't a coward, <laughs> maybe he did have a prophetic dream about about who would be the next emperor. I don't know. I'm not, again, I don't really want to stick up for this guy necessarily, but I do think God works in funny ways sometimes. And preserving this is just a, a testament to like, I can use, I can take anybody in any place right. they're at in their life and use them. I can use, use this them. cowardly guy to preserve this great history for exactly. future generations. Exactly. So, um, Again, I think that more than anything speaks to how cool it is that God's like, yeah, I I see your flaws. I'm still going to use. I'm still going to use you, <laughs> whether you want to be used or not. <laughs> whether, whether you want it or, or not. not. Yeah. Right, exactly. And gives me hope for my flaws. <laughs> Same. Oh my gosh. <laughs> At least like, we recognize it in ourselves, and we don't wear a pomp hat and all that. <laughs> right. 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 I'm not going to talk myself up. That's for sure. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Anywho. So this is Josephus. Super, super cool character. As far as there's a lot to talk about. Sure. And he gave us some pretty cool stuff. And we will definitely be referencing him more later. Yeah, I like so. it. it. It sets up a good cornerstone for the show, kind of like how yeah. the first episode set up our science cornerstone. This really sets up a good historical cornerstone and just brings it all together. It does. Yeah. So again, good foundation, good cornerstone. We're going to build on this. Um, maybe more death and destruction next time. Probably not. <laughs> but what do you, you have for us next? Fr- yeah. <laughs> bright spot. Let's talk about somebody funny. He was kind of funny he is kind of funny (laughs) yeah like again just a character he was a and it's funny how much you can infer about his character based on his own writings and kind of what else we knew about that time so yeah Yeah. but what about you what do you have for us next week so next week i'm going to offend literally everybody and talk about seed oils Yes. Uh, are they heart healthy or are they a rabid food addiction? Are they overhyped or are they demonic? I've ha- had people in my Twitter mention saying they're demonic. I'm oh. like, okay, so here guys, we go. I've made tables. It's going to be crazy and nerdy because I can't help but be super nerdy when it comes to this kind of stuff. But hopefully I am so excited. it's insightful. Yeah, um, I'm so excited because I'm that person who's like, oh, you say that's healthy? Okay, I'm going to try it. And like, 
terrible, terrible. So I'm super geeked to hear about this. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to talk about it. It's It's been on my mind a lot and just like being given the opportunity to like really dive into it instead of just like doing the little surface level research I got to do while I was working at the CDC. Um, this is, it'll be fun to bring all of that together. Sweet. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. I know our friends over at Conspiracy Pills are having on Alan Aguirre to talk about the future and I guess time travelers, something like that. <laughs> drops that I'm nailing for me. So definitely make sure you get of those guys to follow because they're awesome. You never know where they're going to take it. And that's kind of the fun, the fun part of it. So true. Yeah. So true. Yay. All right. Well, I think we're going to take this over to just chat with our friends right now, which. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Thank, Thank you guys you. so much for listening. This has been super fun. Um, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, remember, if you guys leave us a review, make sure you take a picture. Send it over to our email at quirksofcreation at gmail.com so you can be featured on the show and get a super cool coupon for our Hawkeye merch shop. Thank you guys so much for listening and supporting us. Y'all are awesome. We love you. Thank you. Yeah, and stick around over on Rumble and Odyssey because we're going to hang out with you guys. Yeah. All right. See y'all later. See ya.